This is Equip and Engage, a podcast by Subsplash, exploring how ministry, technology, and innovation come together to equip churches around the world to engage their communities. Hey, welcome to another episode of Equip and Engage. My name is Chris, one of the producers of this podcast, and I'm excited to welcome you to part one of our interview with Sarah Zilstra. Sarah is an editor at the Gospel Coalition. She's an author, and she is an incredibly incisive thinker about social media and digital technology and their role and influence in the Christian life. She and Carolyn have had a fantastic conversation about potential impacts of social media and technology that you might not think about as a Christian, as someone who is on a spiritual journey to follow Jesus. And I learned a lot from this conversation. I know that you will as well. Without waiting any longer, here is Carolyn and Sarah Zilstra. Well, hello, Sarah, and welcome to Equip and Engage. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm I'm personally excited as we just dive into this topic around social media and how churches today in our current culture can navigate this space. And I mean, when new technology comes out, there's no rule book for it. And so, you know, this is, it feels like a social experiment that has been going for a little bit of time now, but I have realized, I mean, over the years, so I have gotten to talk to churches and pastors of all different sizes, all different denominations over the years. And and I've been in this space for 11 years with Subsplash now and 13 years overall. So I feel like I've seen these trends happen over the course and how they're, you know, with their discipleship strategy and how they're using digital for that. And one of the trends you know, I've really started seeing in the last couple of years was starting to see how more and more churches, um, you know, it went from, hey, here's social media and we should, should we be on it? Should we not be on it? And then it went for, um, okay, we've got somebody on staff that kind of handles this to now the amount of churches that have a social media specifically hired person um, that is their full job to be able to handle this. So I'm curious too, I mean, this has been an area that you've been writing about recently. You've got a couple books from Gospel Bound to Social Sanity in an Insta World, which we'll talk more about, but how did you become interested in studying social media and writing about it? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I wasn't really until maybe a year and a half ago, um, I was having a conversation with my friend, Laura, Um, And she was explaining to me, she does Risen Motherhood. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but um, she was explaining to me all the effects that she was seeing in the lives of the women that she was ministering to. Um, So Risen Motherhood is a podcast, but they also have a social media presence. And she was seeing in the women, primarily young moms, um, how they were being affected by social media. And so she was explaining to me vigorously all the things that were happening there and said, Sarah, you have to write a book. To which point I was like, no, you write a book. Um, And then as we sort of batted that around, we thought we would bring in some other voices to help us write this book um, for a couple reasons. One is that a multitude of authors just goes faster. You can just write that book faster. And then also we wanted women to be able to speak to their areas of strength so that hopefully each chapter is as strong as it can possibly be because that woman is talking about an area that's really important to her. Throughout the course of writing 
that book, we discovered that it matters how old you are when you got on social media. So we were writing primarily to women who had pretty much been formed by the time they got on, right? Like if you didn't get on until after college or maybe your later college years when it first came out, that was you were in a completely different spot than if you were Gen Z, which is right now 25 and below. You grew up and social media was much more shaping of you. So that led to, um, I did a podcast this summer, um, I guess more like an audio exploration called Scrolling Alone, which looks at um, a couple of college girls and how that younger generation experiences it. Because that's a, kind of a totally different story. And so I guess I've been immersed in this for the last 18 months. Now I feel like I'm pretty well versed in it. And the more I learn about it, actually, Carolyn, the more scary it is and the more um, caution I think we need to use. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to dive into that piece too, because so we've been doing just some, some work in uh, hosting these events called Beyond Sunday and where we're bringing pastors and church leaders together and start thinking about, okay, how do we start to craft a digital strategy Mm -hmm. here that is aligned with our whole discipleship journey? Some of the studies, I totally agree that you start to pick up of how formative these platforms are, how addictive they are. And what I think gives me pause too is it's not like I'm reading something and assessing it in other people. It's like, I feel like I'm pretty cognizant of it. And yet I still am, I'm down the addictive path with it. And one other thing I was going to mention too. So one of the studies, it was by a Syrian and they were just measuring, okay, how, how much are, are we looking at our phones in a given day? And they found that uh, the average American looks at their phone once every 10 minutes, that the younger generation, like you said, that kind of Gen Z, so the 18 to 24, they double the national average mm. in that. So, you know, they're looking at it once every four minutes, once every five minutes. And the longest that the average American felt they could go without looking at their phone was four hours. And it was one of those things that it's in reading that I resonated with it and was like, this is, (laughs) this feels alarming. So going down that, you said, Hey, the more I look into this, there's things that scare me. What, what are some of those things and what are, what is it about social media that makes this so formative and influential in our lives? Yeah, there's so many things, so many directions we could go with this. I think the number one thing that makes it so formative for us is the constancy, basically exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. If we looked at anything that often, it would have a huge shaping effect on us. If we looked at a book, any book, if we looked at the Bible that often, think about how much it would shape our lives, right? right. If we thought about anything for that amount of time, we would become an expert in it, whatever it might be. And so it's, it's crazy for us to think, and we do, that social media is not affecting us. We feel like we're the ones in charge. But really, um, if something is pulling you so often that you're looking at it every 10 minutes or even every 20 minutes, um, you have to wonder, who's the, who's the one that's in charge of this? And so I think it's just the constancy of it, the constancy of it being there um, that shapes how we think. It shapes who we vote for. It shapes what we love. It shapes what's on the shelves at Target. Um, it shapes how we uh, fold our clothes. I mean, there's just like a million different ways that social media, the, the community that is there 
is, and the advertising that is there is shaping your everyday life in ways that you probably don't even realize. Even if you're not on, um, it's still shaping what's on the shelves at Target and what people are talking mm -hmm. about and the opinions that are out there and what politicians are addressing and what we feel angry about as a culture or what we're worried about um, that is still being driven by social media, even if you don't have an account. So, so much more than when you're there for it. Yeah. Yeah, that and I love what you said, even with the constancy, because, you know, we're and I'm sure you could speak to this, too, even just noticing these trends of anxiety, loneliness, depression and this idea of we're so connected and yet we feel so lonely in it. And that <laughs> that method of, hey, the, the more something's in front of you and, you know, we back to the Bible had put out a study around just for disciples of Christ, what are the the measures that actually lead them to a more matured place on mm -hmm. the discipleship spectrum and or on the discipleship journey. And the the number one thing that helped someone grow in that journey was uh, that they found or the number one indicator was how much they engaged with Bible content in a given week and mm -hmm. engaged with scripture. And so what they found, they kind of put this magic number to it for and said, you know, those that engaged with scripture four plus times a week, and they had seen in the studies, you know, less likely the numbers of depression going down and addictions to different substances and, you know, expressing of loneliness. And um, so, you know, adding to that point that there there's a design in us that, you know, we're formed by what we're most meditating on and most consuming in that as well. You know, it's a false promise, right? It's like a false promise of connection and friendliness and being in a community. I don't think it meant to be a false promise and it does in some way connect you, but it also takes you away from your real life. So the more that you're connecting online, it just has to be the less you're connecting in real life. You don't magically get more hours of which to spend on social media. You're taking those away from something else. And so yeah. we have to remember that every minute you're spending on social media is a minute that you're not spending talking to the people in front of you, volunteering at church, um, doing any number of other things that form you. So I think the question is more like, can we think intentionally about what we would like to form us and then do those activities? Um, or are we just, if we don't think about it, then we're just running down the path of least resistance, which in this case is certainly um, picking up your phone and spending time on social media. There are lots of people with lots of money and psychology degrees who are making that as easy of a choice for you as, yeah. as can possibly be. Yeah. So curious even to, as we kind of hold these two things of, okay, there is the, for, for church leaders, for pastors, as they're thinking about, okay, how, how should we engage in this space? How should this you know, dictate how we're posting content on there or devotions or, I mean, I see the whole gamut from they're doing all of their digital engagement on YouTube and Facebook to rejecting it completely to everything in between. How would you speak to that piece too? There's that element, you know, as we've been talking about here of just um, personal lives. And then there is okay, now how should the church engage from pastors posting devotional content or, um, you know, those pieces that I just mentioned? How is, 
how is that affecting, um, you know, how is that consumption affecting our discipleship journey too? Yeah, that's really good. And I think you're right that there's definitely a distinction between us personally being on there and our church being on there. I do think social media is not a field that can be abandoned. Um, I do think there has to be Christians who are there, Christian institutions, especially that are there and that are speaking into it. I do not think every Christian needs to be on there. In fact, probably most Christians don't need and shouldn't be on there. I mean, I just think most humans probably shouldn't be on there. If you think about it, like going to a place where you're going to be formed, even missionaries who go to a you know, a different culture can be formed in bad or non-God glorifying ways by a culture, right? You can send your kid to, to a public college or university intending for them, both of you intending for them to glorify God and, and be a light for him. And that can happen, but it also happens that wherever that person is, is also being shaped by the culture around them. So I think there's definitely a difference between your, your church as an institution being online and you as a person being online. And then I think, yes, if your church can be on there, if you can be posting, it's a wonderful way for people to find you. It's a wonderful front door for people, especially those who aren't comfortable with the church, even to like watch a service online and kind of get a feel for what's going on. It's really scary to walk into the door of a new church, but if you sort of know the order of the service because you've watched a couple live streams or it's scary to walk into a Bible study, but if you've like engaged with it a little bit on Facebook or Instagram first, you feel a lot more comfortable with it. So it's almost like that step before you get in the church door for many people. It's rare now, I think, that people would go to a church without first watching or engaging with it in some way online. And of course, people are being converted too. Um, even on TikTok, there are TikTok conversions of the gospel being presented there and people finding the Lord or deepening their faith Lots of stories globally. Of course, I work for the Gospel Coalition, which is a global website, but we have oodles and oodles of stories from people in other countries um, who maybe had heard about Jesus, but the theology was really poor. And so there's something you know, to that good theology being out there. There's a lot of good that happens on social media as well. So Yeah, yeah it is the dance that we're in because the that digital physical world of ours is so blended and mm -hmm. intertwined and so there is and you mentioned it too and i think for churches as well the the digital space and the physical space are both spaces that people are residing and so mm -hmm. as you're uh, uh kind of walking through i i had heard the he was an old CEO of Home Depot and was very influential in their kind of shift to having the mobile app and ways that he talked about the mobile app being a digital storefront that they would walk through. And at the point they were making that shift, it was, it was very new. I mean, the brick and mortar was the competition. And so for him to say, no, Amazon's our competition at that time was very, um, it, it was very much a new idea. And so I think too, you know, obviously with the church, there is this digital space and this physical space and how are, how are we cognizant of the two? But also, I um, so wanted to bring, bring up as well. So another uh, Gospel Coalition editor, Brett McCracken, he's noted that evangelicals tend to be overly pragmatic when using social media and simply asking, how can we use this to meet people where they're at? How can we have a presence? So 
that in line with this piece of, okay, church leaders are already wrestling with this concept of, okay, they probably also are realizing, man, there's some things about social media that need the lever to be um, cut back a little bit. But then there's also, this is where people are and where they're residing. So my question is, um, where even just that very pragmatic, how can we use this to meet people where they're at? How can we have a presence? Is there biz- biblical wisdom in that? And, and where does that fall short? Mm, I think that's good. Um, you know, the Bible always pulls us toward each other. You know, like if you think about the early church. Um, mm. And so I think one principle you can stand on is to use your social media, not as your primary, maybe discipleship tool, but as a way to draw people together in real life. Right. So like, Hey, we're having a Bible study, but it's not an online Bible study, but I'm going to tell you about it online, but please come to our church or our coffee shop or this lady's house. And we will sit down together in a living room and we will discuss these things. Or how can we get in person with each other as much as we possibly can? Because we know God has designed us and research is showing us that connecting with each other online is such a shallow and and small connection, right? Me pushing like on a picture that you put up is just such a small thing. But me sitting down with you is much, um, oh, just much more rewarding and engaging. Um, One thing that was really telling, maybe I'm going down a rabbit trail here, but one thing that was really telling to me, we did a survey when I was writing the book, editing the book. We threw out a survey to about 1,500 um, Gospel Coalition women on our email list and asked them a couple questions. And one question we asked is, why are you on social media? Of which 90% said to connect with friends and family, which of course, of course, right? That's why we're there to connect with other people. But then later we asked, what's the primary way you connect with your friends and family? And less than 2% said social media. Because of course, if, if I want to tell something to my mom, I call her. I don't put up a post on Instagram and hope that she happens to come on her Instagram. If I want to share something with my closest friends, I'll say like, let's go out for coffee or let's go for a walk or let me text you even. So the return on investment is really low for the amount of time we're putting in. It's like we're giving hours every day to sort of those outer ring friendships and acquaintanceships um, when it's backwards, right? They should maybe get, if anything, a couple minutes a week, you know, from that girl from middle school or that girl from camp or whatever um, versus the people who are closer to you. So I think the more we can bring people closer to us, which almost always happens in embodied relationship, that's the best use of your social media time. Yeah, I, I like that terminology of return on investment. And I, I can totally relate to where when you're on social media, those that are most active, it's one of those, I haven't talked to this person since high school and I know what they eat for breakfast every morning. I'm so involved in their life. <laughs> uh, but the, the piece I like about it is it hits on, you know, in these areas where we're trying to self-evaluate and change these behaviors, it's not out of fear and guilt that we do that, but out of a deeper desire changing that deeper love. And the, I think what, what I resonate, even what you said of the return on investment, that there, there is a craving for deep connection in our heart with other people. And that realization of, even though this feels like I'm getting that return, the deeper connection is that human context. So how do I drive 
and make space for that there too. Yeah. Cause that friend from high school who, you know what she ate for breakfast, that doesn't mean you're close, right? you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what goals should pastors and churches have on social media? How, how can they pursue these ends wisely? Mm. Um, I think first of all, you know, to be a gospel presence, to be there and do it well is, is a good goal. I'm going to recognize though, that that is not the right fit for every church. Um, some churches are small or don't have the, uh, you know, if they're, if you're just have one solo pastor and he does everything, I don't think social media needs to be at the top of your list of ways to engage. Um, so I think maybe to back it up, first of all, taking stock of who's around you. If you're a church that's next to a college, um, then maybe it'd be really important for you to have a TikTok presence even, right? Just to sort of like, Hey, we're having a Bible study. Come on over. Um, so to kind of take stock of the people that you're trying to reach and and aim for them and don't just kind of just be excellent about it. Don't just throw up, well, I hope this gets somewhere. That's not how that's not how the secular companies who are using social media are using social media. They're wise, they're savvy about like, hey, hey, we're aiming for this demographic right here and here's how we're going to get them. And that's not wrong. That's just using your resources well. And so I think kind of targeting what who you want, how you're going to get to them. So considering where they are and then trying to pull them toward the gospel, toward embodied relationship, toward discipleship offline, because those are the ways in which we can walk alongside each other and really love each other. And then offering them a community, um, offering them your love and grace and come and be part of this with us. I think that's the way to go. I love it. Cause there, there's this aspect of um, and I think of the undergirding of it too, and maybe we can speak to this as well of, you know, you kind of understand how the t- like social media being a tool. So, you know, we want to use the right tool for the right job. So we're not going to use a hammer to try to screw mm-hmm. a nail in. And so knowing, okay, this being a tool, we don't yeah. want to just get swept up in the current of it, but how do, you know, how was it designed to work? And, um, and in that being, okay, here's being that it was designed to, you know, have a very influential place in your life. And in a lot of ways, they are advertising platforms to mm-hmm. kind of gather and track people's behavior to then, mm-hmm. um, uh, to that end. But, you know, being able to have that be a place of, okay, how does this attract people in? And we use it for the same tool, but not trying to use it as this deepening of community. If, if I'm hearing you right, I don't know if you want to add anything to, I think in your book, you were talking a little bit about, Hey, here's how these platforms are built and formed. I don't know if you want to speak anymore to just, Hey, here's like the underlying thought behind this tool and how it's meant to be used. Yeah. I also, I think you're totally right. I think we, uh, I think it, you got to think of it like candy, um, right? And I mean, Brett mm. talks about this too, Brett McCracken in his wisdom yeah. period pyramid, right? Of like yes. where you put things. Social media is just the candy at the top. Yeah. Um, so if you think about that, about the time that you're kind of lining up the time that you're spending there, um, I think it also needs to be the candy of the ministry. Like your ministry shouldn't be rooted there unless maybe God has specifically for somehow called you your ministry needs to be rooted in like the word, first of all, and the, the actual people in your life and the people in your neighborhood and the people in, in your community. And then maybe if you're using social media to get those people in the community, but, but for your 
ministry to sort of, you know, shout out to the whole world, um, that's not going to be as effective as a strategy as you, you know, or as biblical as a strategy, honestly. Like Paul writes to specific gatherings of Christians and churches. Um, he doesn't write like, hey, whole world, here's what I'm thinking about. You know, he's he's aiming his communication. And I think the more that we can emulate that, the better off we'll be. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Carolyn. Thanks for everyone listening today. As always, we have more conversations coming up just like this one, including part two of our interview with Sarah Zilstra. These conversations are all to help pastors navigate through the unique challenges of doing ministry in our digitized age, our politicized age, our divided age, an age in which it sometimes feels like you just cannot win. But we are all in on the mission of the church. It is even today and always until the end of time, the greatest source of hope and joy for our world. This is what we believe in. It's what we love to talk about. So make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and subscribe to Equip and Engage wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again. We'll catch you next time.